0: We are starting a brand new series called Greater. I need someone to look at their neighbor and just yell, you look great. Some you look great, but you could look greater. Tell them that. No, that's not nice. You can't do that, Jay. Jay looks good. You look great, man. But hey, like I said, I'm excited you're here. And as we dive into this series, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite Bible characters Ever. And to kick it off, I just wanna go ahead and read you part of the story and then we'll kind of dive into it. But we're gonna be camping out for a while for the course of this series in 1 Kings. And so if you've got a Bible, turn there or it'll be on the screen. But here's the guy we're gonna be talking about. It says in 1 Kings 19, Elijah left there and found Elisha. We got two names here, super similar. We got Elijah, Elisha son of Shaphat. That's a good baby name. And as he, was, as he was plowing, 12 teams of oxen were in front of him, in front of Elisha, and he was the 12th man. And Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. Let me tell him bye. Go on back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. And with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he left and followed Elijah and served him. And before we jump in, I wanna read one more verse and it's from the New Testament. And in this passage, Jesus makes one of the craziest statements probably ever. And as we read it, you're going to see how big this statement is. Check out what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's a big statement, right? This is Jesus talking. You believe in me, you have faith in me. You're gonna be able to do the things I did. But then look what he says, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And so Jesus makes the statement here, whoever has faith in me, whoever believes in me, he says, is gonna be able to do the things I did. But then he says, he will be able to do even greater things, greater things than Jesus, the greatest man to ever walk the earth, right? The greatest person, God with a bod, in the flesh, with us, the amazing things that he does, he says, listen, if you have faith in me, believe in me, you'll do even greater things. And so I've got three points today because I'm a good pastor. Uh, and the the first one, and I want you to write them down, is that we're being invited to, it's going to pop up on the screen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. A higher calling, a higher calling. That's the first thing that we get to do and the first thing that we see in this story with Elisha. Elisha was being called to something greater. Now, to set up kind of the scene of what is going on before Elijah goes and finds Elisha is Elijah just went through a really, really awful time in his life. Elijah had just went through this awful, really terrible, depressive season. And what had kind of happened was there's this thing called the contest at Mount Carmel. And what happens there is Elijah basically calls on God and sees God do this amazing thing at Mount Carmel. And then shortly after that, Jezebel, who was the queen over the area, basically says, because of what you did, I'm coming after you. I'm gonna make sure you're killed. And Elijah goes on the run. And while Elijah is on the run, he basically gets to the spot where he tells God he just wishes his life would end. Look at how terrible everything is. And y'all, God has a sense of humor sometimes because God tells him to take a nap and then eat some food. So whenever you're having a bad day, take a nap, eat some carbs. It's gonna be all right, Zach, you know what I mean? And so he does just that. Elijah eventually finds himself in a cave and God speaks to him. And basically from this moment forward, God starts talking to Elijah about Elisha, about Elijah who was a prophet, how he is going to basically prepare the way and hand over and usher in the next great prophet of God, Elisha. And when Elijah finds Elisha, obviously, as we just read, he is just plowing oxen. He's just doing a thing. And God had been talking to Elijah this whole time about what Elisha was going to do, and Elisha didn't even know it. He was just plowing oxen. He was just doing his thing. He was just going through life. And it reminds me that So often you and I can find ourselves in a spot where God's calling us to something. He wants to do something in and through our lives. He wants us to live a life that's greater than maybe what we could ever imagine, right? Something that is big and great, but we're just kind of facing life. Like we're just showing up to work every day. Our our life isn't bad, but I mean, it's just routine. And it's just normal. And there's nothing wrong with it, but... Sometimes we lose sight and are not able to see that, man, does God really have a big plan for me? Does God really have something in store for me? Does God really want to work through my life? Does this promise that Jesus said that if you believe in me, have faith in me, that you're gonna be able to do even greater things that I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. It's hard to notice that when you're showing up to the same job that you hate every Monday, is it not? When you're walking into The same home, and yeah, everything's great and everything's good, but you start to wonder, like, does God really have a plan? Am I really making a difference? And the thing is, and what's kind of happening here, is that there is nothing wrong with this job that Elisha has. It would be really easy that as I'm preaching this, you would start to think that this message is all about whatever your life is right now, it's terrible and it's dumb and God's calling you to a greater life. You need to abandon everything. And that's not what we're saying at all. There's nothing wrong with Elisha's job and what he's doing. There's nothing in the Bible that says that Elisha was disobedient at some point in his life and so he was plowing a field and now God had finally made a way for him to get out of it because it would be easy as I preach this for you to go, sweet, God's telling me to quit my job or God's telling me to leave my relationship or God's telling me that I'm supposed to just move to Africa tomorrow. And maybe God is calling you, Haley, to move to Africa tomorrow. I don't think so. But what if it's not that God is calling you to a completely different life geographically or when it comes to your career or your relationships? What if he's just calling you to live a greater life inside of what you're already doing? What, what if he's not calling you to quit that job, but to show up that job with a greater purpose, with realizing that wherever I go, Jesus is with me. He has a plan for me in that place. And and when we find Elisha in this spot, he's been doing this. And I, I mean, I need you to imagine I grew up and my dad owned a tractor dealership. Uh, but I, I, just to put it out there, I'm not a mechanic. I know nothing about tractors. So I don't wanna give off that I'm some kind of man that I'm not, I know what I am, okay? But I, I, imagine Elisha every single day. A lot of people believe that he was over this entire team. So he had worked himself up. But I mean, he's the 12th man in a set of a dozen plows. So he's in the back. I don't know if you've ever been to a fair and gone over to the petting zoo. It smells like crap, yeah. And he's the 12th man. And can you imagine, I'm just saying, maybe he loved his job, maybe he didn't. But I need you to imagine if you love it, every single day you're just staring at rear ends, right? And you're doing the same thing over and over. And it seems like maybe you're not making that huge difference. And you wanna do something big. And I wonder if you're there. I wonder if you looked at your life, if you for a moment just stepped out and just examined what you do, do you feel like you are full of purpose? Do you feel like God has a calling on your life? And it has nothing to do with necessarily the job you're at. I can't say that for you. Maybe God will call you eventually to move, to change jobs, to change something. I don't know, but it's not always that. But it can be easy, though, to be in the middle of something that God called you to do and lose sight of why God called you to do it. Right in the middle of where you're supposed to be, right in the middle of something that maybe you prayed for before, right in the middle of where you're actually supposed to be, but be living it and be living in it day after day without the purpose and the plan that God has you to do. We almost end up in basically spiritual survivor mode, just going through life just you know doing the thing and as we keep looking at this story like we said there there's as Elijah comes up and lays his mantle which if you don't understand mantle, basically his jacket. He takes his robe and lays it on Elisha's uh, shoulders. And it would have been this very big metaphor for, hey, God's calling on my life because everyone knew who Elijah was, is now being handed over to you and you're called to follow me. You're called to follow after me because y'all, God has a big plan for your life, Elisha. And as he hands this over, I mean, imagine the weight. And here's the thing, nowhere in the Bible does it say Elisha is called to be God's next prophet and follow after Elijah because of something he did. Like it doesn't say that because he had done something wrong, he hadn't been called yet or that he was just plowing oxen. And it doesn't say because he did something right, now God has placed a calling on his life. Did you know that it doesn't matter who you've been, what you've done, what you think about yourself, where you've, where you've been, how long you've been a Christian, how short you've been a Christian, what you think about God. God loves you and he sent his son to die for you anyway. It's not what we deserve. If you and I, got what we deserve it wouldn't be purpose and a calling on our life and God's love and favor it would be the opposite but God sent his son Jesus to give Jesus what we deserve so that we could get what Jesus deserves and so God's calling you to a greater life he is He's calling you to something big for a purpose and a plan. And it's easy when I'm on stage or when you are watching someone on TV or whatever it may be to go pastors, missionaries. That's greater calling. Did you know he's called you mom? He's called you exactly where you are. Maybe you are called to do something greater where you are and it's going to have a bigger impact than any pastor intermissionary could ever have. And it's not because of something you've earned. God just loves you in this place of calling on your life. And he wants to lead you to something greater. And as we examine this, and I wanna go back into what Jesus said in John 14 one more time. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me has faith in me will also do the works that I do, he will do even greater works than me. Not because you've earned it, but because he loves you and wants to do something through you. In fact, the Bible says that God's uh, strength is shown best in weakness. You think you're weak, you think you don't have what it takes, God's like, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's who I'm gonna work through in an incredible, amazing way. And then it begs the question, what does greatness for God even look like? I mean, what does it really look like? I remember um, when I was in college, I think I talked about this a little bit before, but it was almost like the college, the Bible college would be divided into these different like groups of people like who believed very extreme things. And I remember around the time, uh, there was no one really in my college that believed this, but uh, I remember hearing pastors and churches and reading books about basically, uh, you would know that you were great for God when you had money, when God was providing everything that you needed, like physically, like monetarily, like all of those things, when all of those needs were being met, you knew that you were on the right track. You would prosper. Like everything would go your way. That's living for God. And then I remember this guy who is a pastor wrote a book and I read it. And basically the book said, if you really love Jesus, you will sell your home, you will live in a tent, you will give all your money to missionaries, you will, you will go to a church with dirt floors and no AC, and the, pat, the worship pastor definitely can't afford to wear what Jay's wearing. And you know, it, would ju- it was like that. It was like, be poor for Jesus. And I remember thinking, I don't think either of those are right. Does God provide extraordinarily for some people? Yes. Does God call people to literally give everything they have and that's their calling to live that life? Yes, I believe he does do that to some people, but to say it's for everyone, I don't think that's true. And so what does greatness for God really look like? Is it being provided for? Is it giving everything that you have? Is it being a pastor or a missionary? Is it memorizing the entire Old Testament? And anytime someone names a verse, you're like, I don't even have to open my Bible. I know. Like, what is greatness for God? Is it being able to count on more than two hands how many people you've led to Jesus personally? What does greatness for God really look like? And I wish I could just be like, it's this. And then every single one of you would be like, I'm doing that like it's driving around an ice cream truck, but you evangelize out of it, right? You just do drive by Jesus preachings. You just pull up and Father Abraham is the song that's playing out of the ice cream truck. And then all the kids go, I want ice cream. And you go, I've got something better. And then they probably run away crying. That's what they do. What does greatness for God actually really, really look like? Because here's what's crazy about Elisha's story. If you read through First Kings and you read through his story right after this calling is placed on his life, there are years of nothing. There's years of absolutely nothing. There's no miracles that we hear of that Elisha just directly did for years. He's in obscurity. No one hears from him. He's just doing his thing. And I think that maybe also some of us think that, you know what, if I'm great, people are gonna know who I am. If I'm great for God, if I'm doing the thing, then everyone's going to know that I'm great. Everyone's going to hear who I am. Everybody's going to know and recognize what it is because often can we not attribute God moving in my life to other people seeing it noticing it? Like like that's when I'll know I'm doing something great. People will start complimenting me. People will start telling me about it. And if I can't be seen, if God doesn't see or show other people how great I'm being, am I really being great, how do I know? Like moms in the room, did you know how called you are and how amazing what you do is? And you know what? I've heard from so many of you. There's days where it seems like it goes unnoticed. Does that make it less great? No. Heard a mom in the back, no. (laughs) So what's greatness and how do we find it? And and I want to, in this series, cover it. But for a little bit of it today, here's the first step towards knowing that you're moving towards greatness. It's this, deeper surrender. This is greatness in the kingdom of God. Being able to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. What other people think. It doesn't matter what my idea of what greatness for God would look like. Because here's the thing when we read this story, and we're going to see it in a minute, Elisha didn't get this mantle laid on him, called by God. And then he said, You know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to start an Instagram called the Mantle Collective. And and I'm going to start, everyone's going to be coming. And all of this amazing stuff is going to happen. And, you know, then I'll know this is what, no, he doesn't. He decides to do something very radical, doesn't he? When we decide to go, you know what? This is what greatness looks like. God, whatever I have, whatever I thought about my life, whatever I thought was greatness, whatever I thought was what I was supposed to do, all of it is open-handed. And God, whatever you need to take away, whatever you need to do in me, whatever it means to follow you, I surrender all of it. And as we look at this verse, I want you to see again what Elisha does in 1 Kings nineteen twenty, It says, Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me go tell my mother and father bye. Like this is, I'm leaving everything. Like I'm, I'm leaving, let me tell them bye one last time and I'm following after you. Go on back, he said, for what have I done to you? And I, I remember being very confused why Elijah said this. Basically he's saying, you need to understand this thing that I've done. Like, I, like you're being called to surrender everything. Like, The world behind me, like I've decided to follow Jesus. Right, this is a good picture of salvation. Like you're being called to something. You're being called to follow Jesus, and I'm pushing everything else away. I'm giving all of this up. I'm not going back to the world anymore. And I think maybe a lot of us still have our one foot in the world and one foot towards Jesus. Right, we know Jesus. We've decided to follow Him, but we keep going back to these old things because we haven't surrendered it. And look what Elisha us in first kings 19 21 now it says so he turned back from following him took the team of oxen and slaughtered them now animal sacrifice was super common back in this time so this isn't weird or random no one was calling pita with with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow he cooked the meat gave it to the people and they ate now does anyone else agree with me this seems irresponsible Anybody? Just me. I'm the only one. Cool. I think it seems irresponsible. Like, yes, God's called you to this thing, but what if it doesn't work out? And even if you are going all in and you're like, no, there is no other option. I'm following Jesus. I mean, why not have it there just in case? I mean, just in case. And this is the thing, surrender that leads us to this greater life is when we go, there really is no turning back, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure there's no turning back. And so, Elisha kills the ox that had been his livelihood and then burns the plows and uses them to then eat the oxen he had just killed. He is literally saying, I am making sure there is nothing to run back to because there's going to be hard days. There's going to be hard times. But my calling right now is to surrender so that I can do see God do something greater in and through my life. And I think a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we skip this part. We have this moment where we accept Jesus into our lives. Mine was June 15th, 2006. I got on my knees, I asked Jesus into my heart. It's a big moment of surrender, right? And if you know Jesus, you remember it. But so often that is the last time a believer surrenders anything. And that's not the way it's meant to be. We're called to live our lives open-handed and say, Jesus, the world's behind me, the cross is before me, I'm following after you and I'm not running back to the world. And so if there's something you're calling me to give up, if there's something I keep running to that keeps me from running after you the way I should, then God, I'm giving it up. And that's what Elisha does. And this is how we get to the last point, which is greater things. When we decide to step forward, realize that there's a higher calling on our life. When we realize that surrender is the way that I get to that spot, is the way that I get to where I see that Jesus is calling me to something, I start to see what he's calling me to, something greater. I start surrendering. That's when I get to those greater things. We sang this song earlier, Anything is Possible, right? And and I think one of the saddest things that I see in people who follow Jesus, and it's not everyone, it's not everyone in here, but it's often, is we start to believe that, yeah, everything's possible for like other people, but not me. And when we decide to go, you know what, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm surrendering. We start to see things different. Maybe God is calling you to change jobs. Maybe he is calling you to step out, but what if he's just calling you to do exactly what you've been doing, but with a greater purpose? And what's he calling you to surrender? So June 15th, 2006 is when I accepted Jesus, but almost exactly a year later in 2007, In the same place is when I knew God was calling me to do this the rest of my life. Preach God's word. Whatever that looked like. It wasn't like right away I thought it's a youth pastor or eventually a pastor. It was just I knew God's calling me to communicate his word. Because I got in trouble a lot at school for talking. So why not use what the enemy meant for evil for good? And... In that moment, I didn't understand what it looked like. I didn't get it. Like, it was like, I remember the guy goes on stage and he did this really cheesy illustration and maybe I'll do it one day, so forget it. But where, like the first night of camp, he took a picture of everyone worshiping. And then in the most early 2000s youth ministry way possible, he like gave this big zinger of a point, Jay. Like, I I don't know what, it was like, anything is possible. And he's like yelling it and he goes, and it starts with these people. And then a song started playing over the speakers. There was no band and he just dropped the mic and walked off. And the picture of us was on the screen and an entire four and a half minute song played from the computer. It was awkward. But I remember, it was so cheesy and it was so awkward, but I remember going, God's calling me. And it's not just a, like this guy saying, it. I feel like God is actually telling me what he just said I'm talking about you. And it's not that he wasn't talking to other people in the room, but he was talking to me. And it sounds super crazy in this moment, but in that moment, I was like, I don't know what it looks like, but God, I'll do it. Not really any big moments of surrender. Like I didn't have like this career, like I'm gonna be, a. you think I could be a doctor? I wasn't gonna be a doctor, right? But it wasn't this massive moment of surrender because I didn't really have anything to surrender. It was just like, God, this is what I wanna do. And this is what you're calling me to do and I'm doing it, right? Two years later, I'm about to graduate from high school and I'd gotten in the wrong friend group. I was in a relationship and both of those things had convinced me that was not what God was calling me to do. It's not where I needed to go. And I remember, and I've told the story over and over, so I'm not gonna tell it again, but there was this massive moment where I realized all of these things that I I love, I care about, I care about these friends, I care about these people, they are influencing me in the wrong direction. And they're the best friends that I've got. And I can't imagine not having them in my life anymore, but I know it's not their fault. It's not like they're the devil or something, like I'm Bobby Boucher's mom and everyone's the devil. It's not that, I just remember looking at them and going, because of how I am, I can't stay friends with these people and move forward in what God's calling me to do. And I had to surrender it. And it was awful and it was hard. And I ended up moving 500 miles away to Missouri knowing nobody. But I remember this moment on the drive to Missouri, just feeling like this weight was off of me and like God was going, You did it. Now keep going. This is how you move towards what I've called you to do. I don't know what it is for you in here today. What is the thing that you need to surrender so that you can see God start to use you in a great way, right where you're at? If he calls you to move, calls you to change jobs, calls you to do something different, that's awesome. But why don't you start right where you're at? And maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a sin pattern you've been stuck in and it's keeping you from greater. And it's time to burn the plow, right? It's time to say, Jesus, I'm giving this over to you. Is it a relationship? Is it a friendship? Is it a way of thinking that who you are isn't good enough to be used by God? What is it that you need to fully surrender over to Jesus? Just like Elisha said, I'm getting rid of the plows. I'm not running back to that thing so that you can move forward into greater.